Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us who is of the seed of the devil and who is of the seed of God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. No one wants our marriages to survive more than God does. No one wants to make a husband and wife find new appreciations. That's the message. That's where we're going to see. It's so exciting to see them come out of this darkness of the things which are behind. Thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Not in front of me, I can't see him. He doesn't frame our sins and put it on his nightstand. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our study from the book of Genesis. So what we've identified is that there's going to be a seed of the devil and a seed of God. And the big question is, who is the seed of the devil and who is the seed of God? Hey, I'm so glad you asked. All right, so turn, if you would, to John 8, verse 40. And we're going to answer the question, who was the seed of the devil? Okay, now you see here, John 8, 40, he's having this discourse, this discussion, rather public, with those who were less than his followers. Or let's just say they were his enemies. Well, they were. So in John 8, verse 40, it says, but now, he tells them, now ye seek to kill me. Very important. Ye seek to kill me. A man that hath done what? Told you the truth. So we have the issue of murder and we have the issue of lies and truth on the table. Which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. And we have the issue that Abraham didn't do those things. So then he says in verse 41, ye do the deeds of your father of your father. Then said they unto him, Well, we be not born of fornication, the low blow. We have one father, even God. Then Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, so he's saying the devil is their father. God's not their father. If God were your father, what would you do? You would, you would love me. Okay, that's what he says. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? He's saying, why can't you get this? Even because you cannot, you don't have the ability, hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. What he's saying here is that you are the seed of the devil. So these are the seed of the devil. He says, the lust of your father you will do. He was, what was the first characteristic of Satan? He was a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning and he abode not in the truth. So if he didn't stay in the truth, that means he stayed in lies, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. Two characteristics of Satan, murderer and liar. The devil. So who was the father of this people? The devil. They were the seed of the devil. That means that if the father is the devil, then they're the seed of the devil. Two characteristics of the devil, murderer and liar. That's what they were trying to do, lie and murder. And so how could you tell that these are the seed of the devil? Because they're doing what the devil does, kills and he lies. So to do these deeds, these basic deeds of murder and lying, that just identifies someone as the seed of the devil. Now turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Turn to Acts 9, 1. And so here we have 
the first introduction, enter onto the stage, one Saul, Saul. And in Acts 9.1, we have the introduction of Saul, and it says here, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. So is, is Saul doing the deeds of God or the deeds of the devil? It's the devil, right? Slaughter. He's going to kill. And he wants to stop the disciples, stop the truth. So Saul is the seed of the devil. Now turn, you'll just turn a few chapters over to Acts 14, verse 8 through 10, and many other passages could be talked about, but here's one. And there sat a man of Lystra, impotent at his feet, being a cripple from his mother's room, who never has walked. The same heard Paul, that was Saul, now he's got a new name, Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, and he said with a loud voice, stand upright of thy feet, and he leaped and walked. So here we have Paul, he's preaching, he's healing. Another place, he preaches for such a long time, someone falls out of a window. All right, anyway, Paul here, what we see him here in these other places, is he acting like God or the devil? He's acting like God, right? He's doing the deeds of the devil or God? He's doing the deeds of God. He's acting like God. So, this person who was the seed of the devil is now the seed of God. Does the Bible support that? That a person can change their seedship? <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> can you change your seedship? <laughs> Does the Bible tell you that? Well, look, I'm glad you asked. Look at John 1, 11 through 13. Here, what does it say? It says, he came unto his own, Jewish people, and his own received him not, unfortunately. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's an event that is described in these verses here. There's a very specific event, and that event is called received him. And what it says is that for the most part, the Jewish people did not receive him. They didn't have that event in their lives. But a few of the Jewish people received him. And many of the Gentiles have received him. And together, they make up a group that is referred to in these verses as the many. As many. And that event was so significant in their life that following that event, God gave them the power or the authority. He gave them the authority to, what's the big word here? Become. It's the power to become. It's the authority to become. What does become mean? Become means that they were something before and then they became and there's something different afterwards, see? And what is it that they became? Sons of God. They got a new seed ship. Sons of the devil, sons of God. They became sons of God at this event of receiving him, see? And so before they were sons of the devil, like all of us, See the devil, that's, that's the way we're born. But through receiving him, we become the seed of God. So there you have it, those are the two seeds. That's their source. So what's the difference between these two seeds? Well, that's where we're going to see 
the Bible now take us. Because when we finish chapter 3, we leave the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and we see how these two individuals, Adam and Eve, are obviously the seed of God because they cooperate with God. So they cooperate with God, see? So when God said to them, take off those fig leaf aprons, those stupid self-made fig leaf aprons, they took them off. They obeyed God. When God said, let me clothe you with the God-made coats of skin, they let him do it. See, they said, gladly, Lord, gladly. See, they obeyed God, okay? When God told them their Redeemer is going to come from Eve, they tracked very positively with God when he was saying this. And Adam, tracking along, says, oh, you're the mother of all living because your Redeemer is going to come through you. Simply stated, Adam and Eve obeyed God. They were in obedience to God. They repented of their sins, sort of, more or less, and they wore God's provided coats and began to center their lives on this promised one, the seed of the woman, who is God's hope. That's what's forward, see? They're pressing forward. That's God's hope for the coming Messiah. So when you get your colors out, color Adam and Eve the seed of God. Color them that way. They're obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has told them in Genesis 3.15 that there's going to come another seed of the serpent. But Adam and Eve are the only ones who are on earth, and they're all the seed of God. It's like being in church. And they only see themselves, and they're both the seed of God, And so I suppose Adam could have asked his wife, are you the seed of the devil? (laughs) Maybe when he got mad at her, better he doesn't say that. Anyway, but they're both the seed of God. And so what God told them in Genesis 3.15, they didn't see any seed of the devil. There was no evidence of this other seed that he's talking about. I mean, the world population is two at this point, at that time. But God was preparing them. And God told them, Even though you don't see it, you better be prepared for it. Because I told you in advance, in Genesis 3.15, there is going to come a seed of the devil. It's coming. And so God was saying to them, just tuck that information away. You're going to need it. Tuck that information away. There's coming a seed of the devil. There will be a serious warfare between these two seeds when they come on the scene. So Adam and Eve, they didn't know that a great mystery was about to be unfolded before them that was absolutely going to knock the wind out of their sails. It's going to knock them for a loop. Now what's happening in verse 1 is that breaking onto the stage of earth is this third person named Cain. And he is, he's born, and he stays the seed of the devil. We know that because we read ahead. But with the birth of Cain will come the birth of the opposite type of Adam and Eve. It will be that they will look at this child of theirs and they'll say, he's not like us. He may be our flesh. He may be our blood but there's a huge separation between us. He's just not one of us. And this is going to happen, and this is going to knock the wind out of their sails. Because with the entrance of Cain comes what the Bible calls the mystery in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, the mystery of iniquity that's already at work, it says that. What's the mystery? Well, the mystery is, how could there be a person 
who is the anti-Adam, who is the anti-Eve, who does just the opposite of what Adam and Eve did in their response to God. I mean, he didn't even have any brothers and sisters to corrupt him. He was the first one on the scene. And I don't think he could have had better parents than Adam and Eve. They're not so bad. Where did he come from? Where did that come from? You know, he didn't even get sent to a school that corrupted him. He was in Adam and Eve school all the time. And it was all like, you know, I don't get it. You know, maybe we ought to go take a course on heredity and environment or something. But anyway, this is a great, great mystery. You and I are surrounded by this mystery today. And we scratch our head. And we say, how can there be people who really will never, for their whole lives, respond to God's gospel invitation to be saved? We are in the same boat with Adam and Eve. We're scratching our heads. How can there be, as one Jewish man put it in the Philippines, I'd rather go to hell than believe in Jesus Christ. And he meant it. There are those who mean it. And they go all the way to the grave with that. How's that possible? How? That's what the Bible calls the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. You and I are surrounded by them, and it causes us to scratch our head and say, I don't get it. Adam and Eve got confronted with one in their own home, and they said, we don't get it. That's the mystery. And so these are the two seeds. This is the mystery, and they represent, the two seeds represent two different characters. When you come to these genealogies, you've got to keep always this in mind. Keep this in the back of your mind. We start reading about these genealogies. Start asking yourself the question, do I see the characters of the two seeds here? Can I trace them out? And you can And so that's what the genealogies are all about in chapters 4 and 5. It's painting the picture of the two seeds, these two characters, and how they diverge from each other to become opposites. We can call them Cain types, we can call them Abel or Seth types, opposite characters. They have opposite responses to God, the two seeds. One has obedient repentance, that's Adam and Eve. The other has rebellion's defiance. One has an image of themselves as being needy, needy. And the other one has an image of themselves as being self-sufficient. You know, one has the attitude of humility. I don't have a right for anything. Oh, God, have mercy on me, a lost sinner. And the other one has the attitude of pride. Tragically, like my teacher said, well, for those in religion, if they need it, that's good for them. Pride. They have opposite conditions of the soul. One is what God describes as alive. They have life. They're alive unto God. And the other one is dead. They have, they're dead to God. And when you come to a Bible class, you'll be sleeping, or the white knuckle, how much more of this do I have to, I have to endure? See, that's a deadness to God. No response, see? They have opposite destinies, opposite destinies. One has a destiny of heaven, the other has a destiny of hell. And they sing opposite songs. One sings the song, Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way, that's a theme song of hell. And the other one sings the song, I Did It God's Way, that's a theme song of heaven. And so these genealogies in chapters 4 and 5, they're going to paint for us this picture of the clarity of how opposite they are to each other. Tom, today you mentioned about becoming one of the sons of God and how exciting that is. Now, I know the Bible has a lot to say about 
becoming something else, but can you go further in what the Bible says we also become besides a son of God? Isn't it wonderful, the word become? I mean, we're so filled with the knowledge of what we are not. We're so consumed with, with our inabilities and we wish we were. But the Bible says that we become. And we looked at the verse there in uh, John 1, 12 through 13, really 11 through 13, where it talks about he came unto his own, the Jewish people, and his own received him not. And whenever I read that verse in Romans 1, 11, where it speaks about the Jewish people receiving him not, and how many times they've told me, well, the Jewish people don't believe in Christ, and how many times I've thought to myself, not yet, not yet. So it's almost like every time I read John 1, 11, where it says he come into his own, and his own received him not, I just silently put the two words in there, not yet. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, not yet. But they will, and that's why we labor to bring the gospel to them, to prepare them for that time when they will come. But it does say there in verse 12, as it gives us that very, very graphic and understood meaning of what it means to not receive him, it then, so wonderfully as the Bible does, then plays off with that in view to say, but, and thank God for the buts in the Bible, but as many as received him, it says to them, gave he the power, and that word power is the word authority. So it really reads, as many as received him, to them gave he authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And really, verse 13 is talking about that it's such a dramatic metamorphosis or change. It's such a dramatic event when they become the sons of God that it explains that they were born which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is a birth from above, a birth caused by God. So this is a very, very interesting verse for us when we speak about becoming, because it links the two truths of becoming with authority. Who gave the authority to become one of the sons of God? God did. How did this authority come? By receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. By receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, God has given to us authority to become the sons of God. And that was the thing that so much amazed the people when the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching. It says in Mark 1.22, and they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. He had authority. And people, when they listened to his teaching, they heard authority. They realized this is a person who speaks from heaven. And then it says the scribes didn't teach like that. The scribes' teaching was like walking through a lumberyard full of dust and kicking up the dust, the dry dust into the air dry, boring, uninteresting, so much unlike when the Lord Jesus Christ taught, because when he taught, it was with authority. And so that same authority that he taught with is the authority that God gave him and the authority that God gives to us to become, to change, to become one of the sons of God. 
We are reading in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 about this great change where it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, here's another great become. We were these things in the past. We were immoral. We were idolaters. We were, as it says, some of us were effeminate abuses ourselves with mankind, that'd be homosexuality, etc., etc. But he says, some of us were this, but now we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified, and we have become what we were not. Thank God for that. Romans 7, 4 also speaks about a wonderful becoming when it says, wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. This tells us that in the past, we tried to approach God by the law, by the works of the law, and we even wanted to become married to the law so that we could do the law, all 613 and counting of those laws in order to bring those to God. But we became dead to the law. How? By the body of Christ. We became married, so to speak, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now it's not a case of us bringing works to God, but the Bible says here that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And fruit comes from a tree, and that tree is the Holy Spirit within us. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. So our good works now are really bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit to God and not the works of the law. And Revelation 1.6 talks about us another great becoming. It says, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He has made us. We have become kings and priests unto God. Before we were saved, we had no interest in praying to God. We had no interest in praying for others to God. We only cared about ourselves. But God has made us now in the Lord Jesus Christ a priest unto God with authority, authority of a king. He's made us kings and priests unto God. Revelation 5.10 says, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So what we are doing right now is we are training for reigning. Later on, we'll reign on the earth, and God is training us now because he's making us to become better and better kings and priests. And Romans 6.22 explains to us a change that has happened in our life, a great change when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says here, Romans 6.22, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end 
everlasting life. God says that he has made us free from sin. We were the slave to sin. We didn't know it, but we were. We were a prisoner to sin. We wouldn't admit it, but we were. We thought we were the master of our own destiny. We determined, no, no, no. We were bondage to sin, held in its clutches. But God, thanks to him, made us free from sin. And when he made us free from sin, it was not to walk out of that jail cell and say, well, thank you, God. Now I can be free to sin and do everything I wanted to do in life. Not at all. Because the way the verse says is that we have been made free from sin to become servants of God. And we only have to think back to that servant in Leviticus who, after he was freed from his master, said, I don't want to leave. I love my master. I want to now be a bond slave. I want to now willingly be a servant to this master forever. And he put his ear up to the doorpost of the house, and someone came with an awl and a hammer and nailed this large hole through his ear. And as the blood ran down that doorpost, he showed he was a servant. That's how we are to become servants to God, because he has made us free from sin. Thank you for joining us today. Now, would you like to order some of Tom Cantor's books, DVDs, tracks, or other information? Well, you can by going to friendshipwithgod.org. There at friendshipwithgod.org, you'll find a resource section tab where you can order Tom Cantor's materials on evangelism, creationism, even about the Jewish people, and there are even Bibles and other materials that you can order online. Go to friendshipwithgod.org, look for the resource tab section, and click on Tom Cantor's materials. You can order them right from our online bookstore, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also get our monthly resource this month, which is Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History of the Jewish People Through the Life of Joseph. This is a great book for a believer or unbeliever, so call us today, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org.